Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, verses, uh, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, and can be found on page 763 of your pew Bible. John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, so you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, We didn't know where you were going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. May God bless the reading of his word. A Monday morning began sunny and cool. Great weather for the most special day of the year in Boston. Patriots Day is a day that we have almost all to our own as a holiday in this country. It commemorates the start of the Revolutionary War in our towns, in Lexington and Concord. It's a day reserved for us to celebrate with the most famous road race in the world. More than 26,000 runners set off from Hopkinton, bringing to fruition thousands of miles of training over the preceding year, including through the cold, harsh winter. And in a citywide celebration, hundreds of thousands lined the streets to applaud. And in some cases, particularly outside the Wellesley campus, to to kiss the runners on their way. It was a great and a glorious day, a great and a glorious celebration, and a great and a glorious race. And then in an instant, the picture shattered into a thousand tiny shreds, and the celebration became a frightening tragedy. But really, this is not just about Boston or even just about the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. It's also about Newtown, Connecticut, where a troubled gunman killed 26 school children and educators whose lives were to be commemorated this past Monday by 26 runners from the town of Newtown at the 26th mile of the Boston Marathon. It's about Aurora, Colorado, where a masked gunman burst into a crowded movie theater during a midnight premiere of the Batman movie, killing 12 and injuring 50 others. It's about Blacksburg, Virginia, where a lone gunman killed 33 students and faculty and wounded 17 others. It's about Littleton, Colorado, where two disturbed teens stormed the local high school 
with a hundred bombs and a half dozen guns, and within 30 minutes killed 14 and wounded another 21. It's about the Twin Towers in Manhattan and the murder of 3,000 by fanatics. It's about Oklahoma City and the murder of 168, including 19 young children at daycare. But it's not just about acts of terror. It's just as much about acts of negligence and the explosion of a fertilizer plant in West Texas which wiped the town off the face of the earth. And it's not just about the United States. It's about Chechnya and Mali and Sudan and Syria about wars and civil wars, about suffering and violence. It's about Japan and an earth-shattering quake. It's about a tsunami in the Indian Ocean, which kills 250,000 people. It's about our world, where in a moment, sunny days turn dark. Happy streets run with blood. Strong athletic legs are amputated by bombs, and celebrating families grieve forever. At the same time, this week is not just about human violence and suffering, about darkness and despair. It's also about startling courage and empathy. It's about bystanders who don't run away from danger, but run toward it, risking their lives to save others. It's about the first responders who professionally, every time danger strikes, put themselves in harm's way, not just to make a living, but to give others a chance for life. It's about the nurses and the doctors staffing the medical tents who went without warning from treating blisters to tying tourniquets. This week is about 17,000 sports fans singing the Star Spangled Banner at the first professional sports game after the bombing. Uh, This week is even about the formerly cursed evil empire singing Sweet Caroline at Yankee Stadium. It's about our bipolar world, glorious but twisted, where a sunny spring day can be shattered in an instant. Even more, it's about our human nature, glorious but twisted, capable of incredible heroics, and of unspeakable violence. Ultimately, though, this week is about our God, for it's he who created this world and us along with it. And it is he who watches while we suffer violence at the hands of one another and as we inflict violence on each other. And it is to him we turn when we suffer.
Every time there is such a crisis, the communities affected turn to God. Boston did so this week. A few months earlier, it was Newtown, Connecticut. Aurora, Colorado before that. Tucson before that. Fort Hood, Texas in 2009. When crisis hits, we turn to God. And we turn to God this morning. Not so much to find an answer to the question, why? Because I think we all know that there will never be a satisfying answer to that question, this side of eternity. But, but we turn to God to ask, what? What word does he have for us in such a world? At such a time. At least part of what he says to us is what he said to his first followers as they prepared for their impending crisis. In John chapter 14, he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus says it twice in this chapter once at the beginning, once at the end. It it, it provides bookends to the whole chapter. It's a way for the Apostle John, as he wrote his gospel, to say, this is what is most important. It's like he took out a yellow highlighter and scored over it so we couldn't miss it. Let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. How can we not be troubled? The underlying Greek word means unsettled or disquieted or disturbed or or thrown into confusion and spiritual agitation. In the aftermath of a senseless bombing, how can we not be fundamentally unsettled by these brutal acts which strike without warning? How can we not be disturbed by this senseless violence? How can we not be agitated to live in a world where sunny celebrations provide the setting for brutal massacre? How can we not be troubled? Jesus had exactly our sort of world in mind when he urged his disciples not to let their hearts be troubled. For these were among the last words he would speak to them. As one of his followers slipped away quietly to betray him. As the soldiers closed in to arrest him. As a sham court convicted him of treason. As the Roman powers nailed him to a cross so that he would die in slow agony. Let not your hearts be troubled. How could Jesus himself not be troubled right at that time as he said those words to his disciples? As it happens, Jesus was troubled. In chapter 11, he stands at the tomb of his friend Lazarus, where family and friends have gathered in grief and are wailing. And the text tells us he's troubled. 
In chapter 12, Jesus knows that the time of death is upon him, and he confesses to his disciples, Now my heart is troubled. What should I say? Should I ask the Father to save me from this hour? It's for this very reason that I came. In chapter 13, he tells his disciples that one of them, one of his closest friends would betray him. And again, he acknowledges that he is troubled. Jesus knows what it is to live in a troubled world. He knows what it is to face betrayal, to endure brutality. He knows firsthand what it is to be troubled, to be unsettled and disturbed, agitated by innocent suffering, by reprehensible violence. In short, he knows what it is to be us and to live in our kind of world. Now, nowhere in the Gospels, and certainly not in John 14, does he give any simple, easy answer, any facile solution to our suffering. He doesn't offer any profound philosophical explanation for it. He does not expound the sovereignty of God, explain the problem of evil, or debate the role of human responsibility. To his disciples, he simply says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And beloved Thomas, doubting Thomas, the role model for our own confusion asks him, how can we trust when we don't know? And Jesus replies, You don't know the answers to your questions, but you do know me. There is much that they did not know and much that we don't know, but they knew Jesus. At one level, this is not much of an answer. It doesn't resolve the theological conundrum that evil poses. It doesn't resolve the anguish that personal suffering brings on us. But maybe there are no satisfying answers to such questions. At least not until this broken world is finally restored. In a real sense, this is not much of an answer and doesn't afford much satisfaction. But maybe in another sense, maybe it provides answer enough for this week and for this moment. I realize it's a trite example, but let me illustrate when the time, with the time when my sons were very young and themselves were troubled every time they had to trot off to the doctor and receive injections. They were too young to understand the purpose of jabs or why this purpose could not be achieved by a less painful and frightening method. There was much they did not understand, did not know. But as the doctor advanced on them needle in hand, 
They did what Jesus here urges. They would sit on my lap with their legs wrapped around my waist, their arms wrapped around my chest, my arms wrapped around their backs, and they would hang on for dear life. Trust in God, Jesus says, and trust in me. How can we trust when we don't know? We don't know the answers, Jesus said. But we do know him. My young sons didn't know the answers, but they knew me. They knew that I would not afflict them with pain carelessly or needlessly. And they knew that afterwards I would buy them an apple turnover at the bakery downstairs to take away some of the sting. We can talk some other time about philosophy and theodicy, about how God can be both loving and powerful and yet not deliver us from suffering. But today, let Jesus' words to his disciples suffice for us. At the end of this long speech that he gave, in chapter 16, he returns to this theme. He returns to the picture of a distorted world. And he says to them, his disciples once again, In this world you will have suffering, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We have questions unanswered and struggles unresolved. And here's the reality. As nearly as I've heard, as closely as I can figure, none of us, either in the English ministry or in the Chinese ministry, were personally, specifically struck by this suffering this time. But we know we won't escape forever. At some point, it will come for us. If not now, the next time. We won't always be able to duck it. And yet we take heart. We take heart not that we escaped, but that Jesus has overcome. And so we tell our hearts and we insist with our minds that we will not be troubled. We will trust in God. We will trust also in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, may this be our experience, that we trust in you and we trust in Jesus, whatever life brings. Amen. Please rise with me as we respond together in worship.